I invented this crazy plan to get a bicycle from Big W. This started from Brisbane and I started pedaling. So I just made the whole east coast of Australia home. Seven or eight months before I actually pedaled all the way into Melbourne. And every town I went into, I was the spectacle of the town. We bought a $750 Commodore car. We set off to do a lap of Australia. We did it quite easily. We went around Australia in about 150 days. I didn't want to see anything. I've already seen every, you know, I wasn't interested in tourism. I wasn't, we just went for a drive. Really studying dog training at the time in the pub. I was just looking at the TVs in that, and I thought, there's greyhound races. I like greyhounds. And just as I was leaving, something inside of me stopped me. Never gambled, ever. But I got $5. I put in the machine, pressed it a couple of times, won $650 straight away. Whoa. And I thought, hang on, what's going on? Something's happening. I'm going to look in the paper for a dog, because that's what I want. First thing I look in there, Whippets, $650. Welcome to the first ever episode of Do Us Down Under. I'm here with Nick, who I met on the street last night in Wollongong. Uh, Wollongong? Shell Harbour? What's Shell Harbour. Shell Harbour. So I met Nick in Shell Harbour, uh, just parked up, and uh, yeah, we got chatting, and he told me he's been travelling, he travelled for 22 years from when he was 19 until you were... Uh, 42. 42. So I'm going to be interviewing Nick today about all his travels, uh, which he did around Australia. And yeah, just hear, hear what, he's, what you've done and where you've experienced. Real quick, before this episode begins, this is me from four months later when I'm actually editing this podcast. It's like July 2023. Thank you very much for starting to watch this episode. I just want to let you know, Nick is a really interesting character. I really enjoyed interviewing him. Um, personally, I feel like I didn't ask enough questions. I'll let him keep talking too much uh being my first interview wasn't really you know used to interviewing people at all uh, i just want to learn from it make the next episodes better and better but yeah hopefully in the next episodes i'll be better at actually interviewing asking more questions there's things he said i should have you know asked for more clarification on so i regret doing that but oh well you got to start somewhere just it's a good starting point anyway don't 100 percent agree with all the stuff that nick said in this episode some of the things he said i'm like yeah think to myself whoa that's you know don't agree with that at all i wouldn't have done that and i don't think he should have done that himself but anyway it doesn't matter it was still a really fun episode to enjoy lots of lessons to learn from his 22 years of travel anyway hope you enjoy this leave a comment something like that i don't really know how any of this stuff works but yeah hope you enjoy and let's get into the episode um well it's always best to start at the beginning is that i was born into mormonism yeah so I was raised in the, the Mormon cult and brainwashed from birth. So by the time I reached 19, I didn't understand the world. I had no idea what was going on in the world. And I got, I had passions of traveling and seeing the, the country, going fishing, catching all the fish that I'd only ever seen in books. I had a friend who was into fishing. So we both, bought a van it wasn't a van it was a 1976 land rover and it was the most biggest piece of garbage car that you could imagine it didn't work it had so much play in the steering that you couldn't actually steer it down the road and go more than 80 kilometers an hour 
But we didn't intend on moving quickly and we were both on the dole. And at those, in those days, the dole was only a couple of hundred dollars a fortnight. Mm -hmm. So we were living on nothing and this, van, this car was, took all the petrol and uh, it was converted to gas and at that stage gas was about 16 cents a litre. We left uh, the start of 1996, the two of us, and we thought we would fish all our way up around, right around Australia. But once we got moving in the van and with the money and things, we thought we're never going to get around Australia in this. And so we decided to go much slower. We would spend three months at a time in different towns instead of just three days like the average traveller. We would stay and we would get to know everything and fish the same places over and over. And the, the car was called the Iron Maiden. It was all tin, there was no, it was all aluminium, it didn't rust. And we had the biggest stereo system you could imagine put in there. So we would turn up into town with the stereo on and the, we would have the Darth Vader or Star Wars tape. There were no CDs, so we had cassettes. So we would turn up into town, wind the windows down, put on the Imperial Death March and play it as loud as we could while driving through the town. And people just thought we were insane. We had hair down to the, the, the bottom of our backs, both of us. Uh, we both loved heavy metal music and fishing was what we did. And we got good at it. And uh, so from 1996, we traveled for about 11 months before we got to Cooktown. A lot of the time the stops were so long because the car was just breaking down and we were, getting, we were finding people who would fix the car. And we, we just managed. We ate two minute noodles, we ate baked beans. We, we lived as simple as, as we could and we lived to our budget. And my friend was very good at teaching me who had been spoiled rotten all my life. He was very good at teaching me how to make personal sacrifices and how to go without. And those were the things that enabled us to travel. Um, if we had worried about things like McDonald's and KFC and all of these other things that the world now consumes, we would never have made it. So it was a really, really good trip and when we got to Cooktown, we 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 realised we can't go any further. It's the you know even from Cairns to Cooktown in those days was five hours on a dirt road. Yeah. Uh, so once we got to Cooktown, the car was in such bad shape that we called. We had the total care uh, package for roadside assist. So we called them and told a whole bunch of lies, and they put us on buses and sent us all the way back to Melbourne. So we started in Melbourne and got to Cooktown, but at the end, they, we got a bus home and the car was towed to Brisbane. They wouldn't tow it to Melbourne, they towed it to Brisbane. And this was a piece, a car that should have been just scrapped, yeah. but they towed it to Brisbane to my friend's cousin's place. So I got went all the way home to Melbourne, but my friend went with his car and he never left. 
he never came back from Brisbane. He, he was supposed to get the car in Brisbane and drive back to Melbourne. But instead, he just got the car in Brisbane and stayed there. And he now, now he's an accountant um, with a house. And he, he basically, everything that we, we learnt in those no, 11 months of travelling, um, at the end of it, he just went straight back to normal lifestyle and got a job and is you know once he had children the, the game over and you know he's probably like you know pushing 50 years old like me and he didn't do any more traveling where i found the travel bug so after i got back to melbourne i was only there for a short amount of time before i started going on my own and I used to, I used buses, I used walking, I lived in a tent, I would just go anywhere, but we were all, both musicians, so we, you know, in my travels I started playing the guitar on the street and realised, you know, after quite a while it took me to realise that I can do this, I can continue, I can play the guitar on the street and make enough money to survive and have a good lifestyle and I kept going and never turned back. Uh, I tried to turn back a number of times but found it that it just wasn't in my heart to be part of the beast system and have a beast consciousness. Hmm. I had a free mind and I had a, a free lifestyle and once I tasted that freedom I was never going to give it up. So that was your, your first trip? That you was took. the first trip and that, that led to uh, really the rest of the trips so I went up and down the East Coast over and over because going anywhere outside of the East Coast there were no town major towns that I could busk and make money on the street and also there were the you know it gets more remote it gets more expensive longer traveling distances to fishing locations and so I just made the whole East Coast of Australia home Right. And I went up and down through Brisbane and fished all the rock fishing platforms. And New, the south coast of New South Wales was always my favourite. You know, I got to meet a lot of backpackers. Yeah. And I was, you know, they were always by that stage younger than me, but only by a few years. And I was able to learn about them and their country. And, you know, whether they were from France or Germany or from the UK of, and it, it gave me a real insight into the world and how the world works. And you know, many Australians just believe that Australia is all you need to know about, but you don't, you need to know about the rest of the world, the rest of everybody else's culture and how they grew up mm. and what they were taught in school as opposed to what we were taught in school. You know, I lived in a tent and just traveled and saw everything and tried to learn as much as I could and the, I always had a, a, a love for animals, a love for dogs and cats and it was uh, about 2009 that I finally met a girl that I liked and I thought I liked at the how, time. How old were you at this age in 2009? 2009, I must have been about 37 or so. Oh, yeah, 
I was born in 1976. Yeah. Um, I can't work it out. I'm not like that. That's but I liked her, and she liked me to a degree. We we had we weren't really suited to each other, but we tried. And she worked in the hospitals as a dental assistant, doing school dental vans, and she would travel around in the dental vans and treat the kids. And through her work, I was able to get work in the hospital. And I started as the gardener in country hospitals because she was doing dental vans in the country in the country Queensland, and I worked in the hospitals and made my way up into wardsman and she got a bit homesick and she decided that she wanted to give up the country queensland country lifestyle which only lasted for us about two years and she moved back to brisbane and i didn't go immediately but when i was able to locate work in brisbane in the in you know the government hospitals uh, I got a job as a wardsman in the Princess Alexandra Hospital and I loved the country hospital. It was so easy going and, and everybody warned me, it won't be the same if you move to the, the city. If you move to Brisbane and work in the hospital and they, could t they were telling me outright, you won't enjoy it. I could see that I had this freedom mindset and they said that you're going into the city, the rents you're going to pay, um, you know, they're basically telling me straight out that you've got a little bit of freedom doing this job in the country and when you take it to the city, you'll see the true meaning of, you know, slavery by work yeah. and that, you know, no matter how hard you work, the prices of, of city living will dictate your freedom and they were right and I lasted about a year in the hospital by the time the two of us lived in the city we grew apart and I decided to do some more traveling so that was this you know, three years that I really had a break and it wasn't even quite three years but in that three years um, we got a, a dog had a little uh, Jack Russell uh, mini dash down cross who I called Colin yeah. and he was he was my best friend so when I left the dog came with me and I I didn't have a I always used you know I used at the stage I was driving her dad's spare car so I never really had a car um, and this was at this moment of, of wanting to leave Brisbane. I didn't know where I was going to go or what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to let the dog go because the dog was my best friend. And she really didn't have a love for animals the way that I did. And she was happy to let the dog go. So I invented this crazy plan to get a bicycle from Big W yeah. for $99 and get a trailer on the back of the bike where I could put the dog and we could start going on the road together. Yeah. And the dog wasn't very happy about it at the start, but 
he got better and more used to it. So I had a little mini guitar that I would put in, in the trailer and I carried such, a, I started with a lot of gear and in the end I didn't need the gear. As you start traveling you realize you don't need very much at all. Um, so, you know, we it started from Brisbane and I started pedaling and I think it was about seven or eight months before I actually pedaled all the way into Melbourne. Yeah. And I saw my family and told, you know, I'd told, been speaking to them and telling them that I'm doing a bike ride from Brisbane to Melbourne and everybody thought I was crazy. And every town I went into, I was the spectacle of the town. Look at this guy with a bicycle and a dog in there and he's says he's riding from Brisbane to Melbourne and I was quite embarrassed of it to begin with because I was overweight and you know I, was, I couldn't ride very well at the start and I had all these built up feelings of, of you know that people were looking at me and people were judging me and people were looking down upon you know my, my bike ride and people would come up to me and say you you call that a holiday? Yeah. That's what you think's a holiday? And yeah. like So how did you how did you overcome that fear and that you know that how did you overcome the sense of oh everyone's thinking badly about me everyone you know is looking down upon me how did you overcome that fear and take it or did you never get past that? It, it really didn't wear off until I got south of Sydney. And I could show people that I had actually ridden that far on this bicycle from Big W with this gear. And they would started turning, the people started to change around me. And they would say, have you really pedaled that all the way from Brisbane? And I'd say, yeah. And they go, that's crazy, but good on you. Well done. Like, so I, could, I couldn't do that, but you're doing it like and the more that I began to let these feelings go inside of me I've started to gain confidence and I became proud of my ride and then as I would speak more freely about to people of what I was doing because originally people would ask me what I was doing and I didn't want to tell them but as I got further and further in distance the confidence started to grow and then I began telling them and they, they changed, and I changed because of their reactions. So, you know, I, I began to feel proud of myself. And for the, you know, there were moments where I was on the side of the road crying. I didn't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of these hills. I'm sick of this sun. I'm sick of the wind. I'm sick of camping and being scared somebody's going to come along. And it was just all lifted. And it, it wasn't until, uh, you know, that I finally pedaled into Melbourne and I really showed my family what I'd done, but it wasn't the reaction that I expected to get. It was the same reaction that I got when I started. I started to feel that same thing, that they were, my family were looking down upon me for doing this trip. Why aren't you working in the hospital you could have 
stayed there. You could have made a life for yourself in the, and made good money and you could have had a car. You could have, you know, worked towards a house and building a savings in the bank. And why my family were frustrated that I didn't choose the lifestyle that they chose. So this just was more fuel for me to continue doing because I knew in my heart what I was doing was serving me. I wasn't serving the people and I wasn't doing the things that people thought that I should be doing. And I then started to I started to believe that it's right to not care what they think of me and it's better to go with what's in your heart. So I tried to I saw my family and that wasn't the reaction that I wanted and so I thought stuff this I turn around and ride back yeah so you started again same bike same everything started riding again and I mean I had so many flat tires I had so many problems on the first ride but I didn't care I thought I'll do it again you know I want that feeling back so I started pedaling, but this time my heart wasn't in it the same way. My heart, you know, had been broken. So I didn't have the enthusiasm that I had. I didn't have the drive. So I started drinking a lot. You know, I'd always had a drink, but this time I started drinking to get drunk and drinking because I was miserable and drinking to drown the demons in my head. And that didn't turn out well, you know, that's... When you make these, well, I've, I found, you know, when I made these decisions to go down that dark side of drinking and, you know, being a, a terrible person, um, oh, and I was. I wasn't the person that I was when I started and when I got to Melbourne on the second ride. I, um, you know, drinking more and more and more and I still had my little dog. But one day I was in Naruma and I was drinking and I wasn't watching the dog. And he wandered across a bridge right into the heavy traffic. And I didn't know where he was, so I'm looking for him. So I decided to give a whistle and he comes running back straight into the traffic and gets hit by the car. <laughs> Stop for a second. But it was a lesson that I needed to learn. And it was a tough lesson. But I didn't change. I got angry at the world. And I got angry at cars. And I got angry at everything. I didn't got blamed everybody but myself, where I was the one to blame. But I wouldn't take the responsibility. So I kept drinking it more and more. And these consequences kept coming. Because the world was trying to show me a way. And I refused to go that way. I wanted to go my way. I didn't want to go the way of truth and love and freedom and caring for myself. So I drank more and more. And one day I had a mini stroke. I woke up in the middle of the night in my tent and I couldn't move. I paralyzed. So I tried to get up and I'd just fall over, fall over and I didn't know what was happening to me. 
and at that point I didn't even care what was happening to me. I fell into my bicycle and broke the spokes. I, just, I wrecked my foot. I was, I was in. I couldn't even walk. So instead of going to the hospital, or instead of looking into my soul, I decided to keep drinking. The same day that I had a stroke, I went and bought more alcohol. Who does that? Only a sick mind does that. But I wasn't ready to face the truth. So I left the bike, I left everything, and I started hitchhiking. And I started living on the street, living on a, you know, traveling by bus, traveling by train, all of these things. And uh, I was, just wasn't finding any of the happiness that I found on the first ride. And eventually I decided, I can't do this. I'm not happy. I'll go home. So I went back home. And again, I wasn't welcome because you know, my family want me to be, you know, join and be a part of their religion and their lifestyle and their, you know, what I call the, the, the slave mentality. They wanted me to have this slave mentality that working is good and paying tax is good. And so my dad bought me a car. He thought that would give me all the happiness that I needed and give me, yeah, and, but he didn't just buy me a car. There was a catch is that I would be able to pay him for the car, just whatever I could afford. But of course he knew and I knew that the only way that I could ever pay anything for the car was to adapt the slave lifestyle. Go and get a job, go and pay tax, go and do what you're told. Arrive at work at nine o'clock, make sure you're in bed by 10, get up at seven. Oh, and I, and there was, I was never going to do it. My, it was not in my heart, it was not in my mind or soul. So, you know, I, I then upset my dad because I had the car, but I wasn't going to pay. But it wasn't, my dad really didn't want the money. He wanted me to surrender the traveling. He didn't want the money, and he knew that that was a way to trap me. Is if I had the car and, and I would pay him, then I, he owns me again. Where I'd broken away from my parents and their religion and everything, but he wanted me back. And that was a way that he was going to trap me into doing So, of course, we had a fallout. You know, there was no, it was keep the car, I don't want anything. There was, you know, the car wasn't worth much. And so I lived in the car for seven years. And it was finally, when I got the car, that I was able to get another dog. I took the car and I started at Travels. Uh, actually, I've just completely missed an entire section. Okay. Is after the bike ride, on the second bike ride and losing the dog, and I went back home, one of the guys that I had met and that I'd traveled with in the past, just as he's a backpacker, but he's Australian. And we bought a $750 Commodore car, the VN car. And he was on the pension and I was on the dole. 
and between the two of us we bought the car and we he always wanted to drive right round Australia so we set off to get to a lap of Australia I think it would have been around probably 2011 and he, he was a busker and I was a busker uh, we both played guitar and sang on the street and that was how we did it uh, so we did it quite easily we went around Australia in about 150 days I didn't want to see anything I've already seen every you know I wasn't interested in tourism I wasn't we just went for a drive so we just drove and drove and drove and when we run out of petrol we'd play guitar put more petrol and drive and drive and we weren't looking for anything and we would get into towns like you know we went all through the outback and we'd get to places like Broome and people would come and tourists who have flown into Broome they've never seen Australia at all they just arrive at Broome and they go say things to you like oh have you seen the boab tree oh it's in town the boab tree is so beautiful we've seen 50 million boab trees we've driven past every single one of them and didn't even bother to stop <laughs> we used to drive along and go look there's another rock wow how interesting look there's another tree look there's a bunch of birds who gives look another lake wow big deal look this is a big town. This has got a Bunnings. This has got Coles. Uh, we just didn't care. We didn't see anything that we wanted. We had no interest in it. All we were doing is just driving and driving for the sake of driving. So we finally did 150, 150 days. We drove right around Australia. And from Darwin, we drove down to... Uh, so where did you, Alice Springs? Where did you where did you start this trip? Started in Victoria. Yep. And drove up to up to Cairns and then across to Darwin, down to Alice Springs, and then back up to to almost to Darwin again, and then through all through Western Australia around the coast. We didn't even bother to go and look at the beach. We just kept driving through Western Australia. Nothing there, like we nothing yeah. that we wanted. What, so what kept you driving? What why did you want to drive? What made you go I don't wanna see anything, I just wanna keep driving. Why was that, do you think? Um we had both travelled for so long that we just every single town was the same. Every everything became the same. It was just that illusion of separation was destroyed. Everything that we thought was separate from each other. The towns are all separate from each other. And we realised, no, it's just the one's thing. Everything is the one. Everything is the same. Every town has a Coles. Every town has a Woolworths. Every town has McDonald's. Every town has a, some stupid tourist thing with some steps and some paid car park and some royal national park where you have to pay to go and, and every every caravan park was the same. I didn't even know what town I was in. I didn't even care. It's like, am I in, you know, which, which town, I mean, we'd even say to each other, what town was it where we did that? 
And you go, I don't know. And you go, I don't know either. And who cares? It's all the same. So we'd look at brochures that would have a picture of a beautifully painted lighthouse. And we'd go to the lighthouse and we'd realise it's covered in rust and it's a dump. They just Photoshop the, the brochure to get people to go and have a look at it. It's all lies. We just started seeing lies everywhere. Constantly, people just telling tourists lies so that they would get their money. And we just started getting really angry at the world on that trip of that this world is just one big lie. And once we did the, the whole trip around, never really spoke to the guy again. We, I think after 150 days, we were fed up of each other, and fed up of the world, and fed up of the prices. I mean, we'd go into a place like Fitzroy Creek and we'd say, how much is a six pack of beer? And they go, $25. I go, what? $25? What do you mean they're $12 everywhere else? He goes, well, we say, well how, much for, how much for a carton of beer? Oh, I'll have to find out. You work at the bottle shop. You don't even know how much a carton of beer is. What's your problem? You just said a six-pack's $25, twice the price of anywhere else. He'd go and check, and he'd come back, and he'd say, oh, a carton of beer's $50. So... A carton of beer is the same price as two six-packs. You're an idiot. What's wrong, what's wrong with your whole business? Are you just, your whole business is just funded on lies? You're just a great big liar? And the answer is yes, absolutely. How, how, how come, how is he a liar? How is he a liar for charging? He's making up his prices off the top of his head. It depends who comes in. If you're a local, if you're a local, a beer six pack is twelve dollars. If you're not a local, it's twenty five. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense to you. Clark. Yeah, it, it's just he's just a liar. That's how he runs and operates his business. So we thought, well, perhaps Coles and Woolworths, you know, at least their prices are set. But no, they're not. They're all liars as well. So you, know, you start getting down about the whole world again. You go through all the trauma of trying to understand why the world treats everybody like this, why they don't, you know, show love to each other, why they don't care about each other, why their main reason for living is to rip people off. I mean, these people don't have a, a, a conscience at all. They, they don't, they see everybody as their victim. Oh, look, here comes a victim. Let's get him for whatever he's got. That's how they think in these towns. So we just got fed up of it. So after that big trip with him, um, I started again, and that's when I got my own van. We sold the Commodore because of him, you know, he, it was $750 Commodore, but he wanted half of his money. He doesn't even drive a car. So I was like, I'm fed up of you as well. You're an idiot. I shouldn't have even gone around Australia with you. Because you're just a selfish, greedy, yeah. good for nothing. So, did you when you bought the Commodore in the first place for seven hundred and fifty dollars? Did you pay fifty fifty? Did you pay whatever? Yeah. And then when you sold it, who wanted? Did he want? When we sold it, he actually sold it himself, and he told me that uh, because he he was staying at a friend's place, uh, he t he told his friend what he sold it for, but then he told me different. Right. So he actually shortchanged me on the car. Right. And it wasn't until they stopped being friends, 
him and the guy he was living with stopped being friends, that the, the other guy actually said, you know he did rip you off when he sold that car. Okay, so he may have sold it for $1,000, yeah. told you he sold it for 500 yep. Or do you know the exact yeah, figures? Yeah, uh, that's about right, exactly about right. So then he told you, I sold it for 500 bucks and only gave you 250 and then he went away with three quarters yep. of the price. And I had just used my $500 um, Centrelink loan to put new tyres on the car. I was down all the money. He was up all the money. So he didn't learn anything when he went around Australia about these things. He adapted them to himself, where I didn't. I, I started to care less and less and less about money and started to care less about life altogether. And that's when I got, you know, my dad saw that and tried to help me with the car. So, I mean, it, it's not, you know... My dad had good intentions, but he just didn't understand, you know, what I knew and what I'd experienced. And there was no way he was going to listen to to me because he's, he knows everything, he, so he thinks. Where I actually think he knows less than nothing. He knows, you know, he's just completely brainwashed. He's brainwashed by the system, he's brainwashed by religion, he's brainwashed by all of it. Where all of my mind was be be becoming free, and I was being a real free thinker for the first time in my life, but I still wasn't ready to accept any responsibility for myself, for my behaviour, for my lifestyle. I was not going to accept it. I'm not going to be responsible. The world is responsible, and I'm just reacting to the world. So I kept going. So took this van. What kind of van was it at this point? A little uh, Holden combo van. Okay. And it was cheap to run, a little four-cylinder van. You could just sleep in it side to side. And I was so lonely. I missed my, my dog. And I, I missed all of it. I just needed something in my life. So one day I went to go and buy alcohol. And everything in the bottle shop was... All the, all the beer that I wanted was all hot. It just arrived on the truck. It wasn't even cold. And I was angry again. So I crossed the road to the, to the pub and I thought I'll go and see if I can get a, the same beer that I want, the same price. Uh, so they didn't. They, they, every, all their beer was too expensive. I only had just enough money for the beer that was hot. So I thought, Something inside of me just said, I, I, was, I was really studying dog training at the time. I was really into reading books about dog training and I was thinking about dogs a lot. And so I was in the pub, I was just looking at the TVs in that and I thought, there's greyhound races. I, thought, I like greyhounds. And I thought, anyway, I'll go to the toilet and get out of the pub. And just as I was leaving, something inside of me stopped me. And I never gambled, ever. But I got $5. I put in the machine, pressed it a couple of times, won $650 straight away. Whoa. That is insane. Straight away. So I took it all out, and I thought, hang on, what's going on? Something's happening. I could feel something happening in me. So I thought, I'm gonna look in the paper for a dog, because that's what I want. First thing I look in there, 
Whippets, $650. Straight away went and bought it. Sorry, what's a Whippet? Like a mini Greyhound. Right. So, I took all the, the training, you know, that I'd done, that I'd learnt about, and I thought, I'm going to do this training, I'm going to train this dog. And little did I know, that's not how dog training works. Dogs are here to teach us lessons about ourselves. If you think you can get a dog and you can make it do what you want and not change your mind about anything, you're wrong. Is unless you listen to the dog and learn the lessons that the dog is teaching you, you're not going to be successful in dog training. But I didn't know that yet. So I continued. And I thought, I'm never going to put this dog behind a fence. Ever. I'm going to give him as much freedom and show him the world. So I had a brand new passion. And that passion was to give that dog a life that no other dogs ever had. And I, I did. So as a puppy, I took him out on the street. I played the guitar. And money just started coming from everywhere because people wanted to see the puppy. I get the stories, the timeline a little bit jumbled up, but I actually got the, the, the Whippet before I got the van. Okay. Before my dad bought me the, the van, I actually spent the first year and a half walking with the dog. Um, and we went all through Victoria and like, I was going to give him that lifestyle that, it, that I knew that I could do. And, and that would be that every day we would just walk and walk and walk. He had so much energy that he didn't care. He loved it. He, loved, he didn't care where we were going, what we were doing. He just want, he, we'd just get up in the morning out of the tent and we'd walk. And we walk till he's tired and he has to have a sleep and then we sit under the tree and sleep it off until he wakes up and, then we, and both of us and we walk again. And we did that for about a year to a year and a half until he started getting older and I started to realise that, you know, he's not a puppy anymore and, you know, that we could do other things and that's when I was offered the van. So we... Got in the van, the two of us, and, we, and I thought, all of my life and all of the fishing and all of the, you know, everywhere, all of the trips, they all involve fishing. They were all fishing orientated, everything, drive, every place I wanted to go to was because I wanted to fish there. But this time, I wanted to catch the, the, the fish that I always, like, tried, knew I, in, I never had a, the the time or the knowledge or the fishing gear or you know to actually catch the fish that i really wanted to catch and my favorite fish of all time was the kingfish and you've got to have the pound for pound rated the third toughest fish on the planet to catch they're super powerful and they live amongst the the reefs and the rocks 
and you hook one, they run their head straight into the rocks. They, they don't go swim out to sea, they come straight back at you and they dive at your feet and they'll break you off on anything. So I got went to Marimbula, me and the dog. How, and how I, did you get to Marimbula? We had the van. So you had the van at this point? Yeah, I slept in the van for seven years. Wow. So it wasn't until the tail and and where I mean where I travelled to in the van was basically just I got up as about as far as um around Byron Bay, about as far as I would go in the van and then I'd come back down again. It just, just depended on the you know, just years and years went by. Uh, looking at twenty two years. So if it was winter I'd go up around Byron Bay area and in the summer it's too hot up there I was sleeping in a van so I'd move back down towards the, the south coast of New South Wales but towards the end of all the things with the dog and by this stage the dog was about nine years old because so we'd done a couple of years yeah he's about nine and we'd, we'd done a couple of years walking and and traveling and then you know then it was basically seven years in the van and the, the dog loved the van uh, you know we, we were able to go to lots of different dog beaches and play with the other dogs and you know that was all I was able to have company other with other dog walkers and talk to other dog walkers and um, You know, I'd met some horrible people in my travels. People that, you know, I was just sitting in my van doing nothing and, you know, one fella came up, basically tried to kidnap me. Um, he's an ice addict. He's a violent ice addict. And he tried to get in my car and drive and make, force me to, to an ATM. And, and little did he realise, I got no money. He's like, he's that stupid. That he's trying to rob somebody who doesn't even have any money. There's nothing in my so. I got out of the car, and you know, I was scared for my life. And I said to him, "The best I can do is I got two hundred. I lied. I said I got two hundred dollars in my bank. If we cross the road into that pub, I'll get it for you." My plan was just to go straight into the bar and tell his yell at the top of my voice. This what this guy who. This guy was trying to kidnap me, so I did. Uh, he was arrested. The detectives and people, you know, there was, I could go through so many, 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 many stories, but that's just one that stuck in my mind. Um, and not long ago, I got a phone call from the police that, saying that I might have to go to court. This is only a few months ago from today, saying that I might have to go to court because the same guy has, is being charged with raping people with cerebral palsy. Well, this is how evil this man is. This is the you're not going to find a more evil man on this planet. Going back to the fishing, is the last few years of having the van, I really concentrated on fishing, and I, I had game fishing rods that I would use off the rocks, and one day I got to my favourite game fish fishing place. It's called Chura Head, and outside of Marimbula. 
and I thought, I'm going to do it here. I'm going to catch this fish. I'm going to stop drinking. And I wasn't drinking much then. You know, only a little bit. And you know, it wasn't a big problem. I, I, I got to the end of the, the whole drinking stage of my life. And all of a sudden, catching that fish became more important than having a drink or doing anything. And I was prepared to make personal sacrifices to catch this fish. And this was the first time in my life where I was ready to take responsibility for myself. And so I got up at three o'clock every single day, no matter what the weather, out of bed at 3 a.m., go down, catch live bait, you know, live fish about this big, and put them in a swimming pool, a kid's swimming pool, fill them all, all up and have aerators in there and get all my baits and I'd use a great big rod with a really heavy line and you know, strong, you know, everything was 100% to catch these fish. And you, you'd get a balloon and a heavy mono line and put the live just under the skin of the, the live fish on his back put him out under a balloon and drift him out to sea. So I did this for almost three months without any result at all. Nothing happened. Getting up non-stop for three months, doing this, catching these fish. I mean, you know, do all the walk just to, every morning I walk down to these rocks, go through the procedure of catching the fish, putting the baits out, Nothing. How did you afford to live at this time for three months? What income? I was still busking through okay. all of the years. I always played guitar on the street, and I didn't even know what I was singing, or wouldn't care what I was singing. I just whatever Australian popular songs of didn't have no had no impact on me of what I was singing or playing. Just so, and I've, I've always played guitar. I'm no expert, but I'm reasonable. Like, I can play and I can sing. You know, over all of those years of practice, you actually develop something. Yeah. So... How much would you... When you're busking for a day, how long would you busk? And how, uh, much, how would, much would you make from would a busking session? About two hours, an hour and a half to two hours a day. And I'd average about $50. All right. Every day. And I was still taking government money. I had lots of money. Yeah, okay. Um, I got really good at... at the, you know, by this stage, I'm at the end of about, you know, the 22 years I'm trailing the end of it, I became really good at it. You know, I had lots of confidence and uh, so, you know, everything was starting to line up in my life again, you know, for, well, really for the, properly for the first time line up. And this fishing, I was not going to let it go. Putting these baits out, and people, the fishermen come along and they go, "You were here yesterday." I go, oh, "No, I'm here every day." And 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 I say to the other fishermen, "Oh, don't even bother today. The weather's terrible. The waves are too big. You've got a headwind." And they go, "But I only got two days. I came here. I've driven here all the way from Melbourne. I got two days to fish. I got a fish." I go, "What a stupid man!" Like. I've got three months here. If I don't want to fish today, if the weather's bad. So I started to feel happy. And eventually I put all these, kept, you know, if you're persistent, it will pay off. 
and so I started catching fish over 40 pounds, over it was you know over 20 kilos. I started catching big, big fish, and I started getting happy, and I started to appreciate the sun rising. Just simple things. Appreciated the wind going the right way. All of these things that I'd hated started to come back and be real. And you know, I started to say to people, you know, when was the last time you saw the sun come up in the morning? Oh, and they go, I don't know. A long time ago. They go, I see it every day. It's fantastic. It's, I go down there, it's cold on the rocks and everything, and the sun coming. All of a sudden I'm warm, and I'm taking my clothes off, and I'm feeling good. And I started to... Just those... You know, those four elements of the... the you know, the earth, the air, the, the fire at night, and the, you know, the... The earth, the air, the fire, and the water. And I mean, I had all four elements going right there. Every day, I was mixing myself in these four elements. And as I've learned, when you do this, the spirit comes up inside of you. You, you know, I learned that getting close to those four elements that I'd hated all of my life, I'd hated those four elements. I, I hate the wind, I hate the sun, it's too hot. I hate the, you know, sleeping on the ground. I, you know, everything that I hated were the things that I had to learn to like and accept in order for the spirit to, to rise in, in me. Yeah. So, I got happy and I stopped drinking. And I then moved... You know, all of this COVID stuff started and, you know, but it was even before that. I, I, something inside of me was saying, move into, you know, you've got an opportunity to get a government house for the first time. And the dog, you know, he's, he's, he's older now, like, you know, grey face and grey whiskers and and he, he's lived in a van all of this time. And I thought it's about time he had a house and a, you know, a nice heater and a comfortable couch to sleep on and so I wanted to give it to the dog so I thought okay I'll get a I'll get a government house for the first time and oh they moved me into a place with criminals horrible criminals that were stabbing each other in the driveway and beating each other's knees in with hammers mm. I was thinking what on earth is this I thought all these years I thought people who lived in a house were happy Look at these people, these are monsters. You think there's monsters out on the road? Look at these ones. So I just had an existential crisis. I had a huge breakdown. And I started going crazy. And I also started, you know, I didn't drink, but I started smoking marijuana again. And it was making me feel happy smoking it. But it was making me face myself. It was making me, but my thoughts were all directed at myself and my life. And who am I? Why am I here? What is this all about? 
What's this world that I live in that I don't understand? So I just had a breakdown. So through this breakdown, I decided to study. I want to know what this is. I want to know what this world is. So I was set on a new path of studying. And one day I was walking my dog backing through these horrible people where I lived. And they've always got their stupid dogs off leash. And all of the, you know, one day I walked back and a man who didn't even live there with off, off leash pit bull cross, the dog just charges my dog, bites his leg off. This dog that I've loved my whole life, it's got no leg. What the hell is, and I'm having a, a spiritual breakdown and it happens right in it. So I go crazy. I'm put in a mental hospital. There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with the world. So now I'm locked in a mental hospital. They're trying to drug me. I was like, I don't want your drugs. There's nothing wrong with me. Oh no, we need to drug you. We'll hold you down and force these drugs into you. So I had to stop. I had to stop being angry. I had to start calming down. I was thinking, I'm only gonna, I'm not gonna get out of here unless I calm down, because I wanted to kill everybody in there. And I started talking to the patients in there. And I started to realise, hang on, they're like me. All of these people in here, they're like me. I started to show them love, care, and. I calmed down and I got out. And I, you know, I, even when I was in the mental hospital, a crazy patient tried to bash the a woman in there, uh, one of the staff members, and I hated the staff members in there. Instead of oh, everything inside me said, let that woman bash that staff member, and I thought, no, I can't. I don't combat, condone violence. So I just went and stopped it. And it was through stopping it that the staff member had new thoughts. She thought, oh, I'm gonna let this guy out. He did. So, I lost my dog. But that's all right. I started to deal with everything. For the first time, I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, by way of knowledge, I'm gonna understand this world. So, you know, I never had a phone, I never had, you know, so I, something led me to studying the occult. I've always been told never study the occult. You don't want to study the occult. You don't want to know the truth about this world because it's so bad that you, you, you will not, you will regret it if you study the occult sciences of this world. And I thought, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. Something inside of me just gave me this huge will to, to study everything, study hermeticism, right down to studying Satanism, studying everything that I could possibly get my hands on. And I built up inside of me enough knowledge to face people and say what is true and what is not true, what objective morality is 
and what moral relativism is. And there is a big difference. And what objective truth is compared to your truth or his truth or somebody else's truth. They don't exist. It's There is one truth. You see it or you don't see it. And so I got a lot of power inside of me. My spirit became whole. And I was able to start saying what I really meant. So I started saying it to the government, to social, these people in government offices. And I, they wouldn't listen to a word. They, they put out AVOs against me. They lied to the police against about me. I never threatened anybody. I never said anything about violence. All I did was point a big mirror at them and say, you're the problem. I'm judging you. You are the problem. I don't like that. So, one lady, she came to my house from the, the housing department with this horrible house that I lived in with these horrible neighbours and I was in the middle of uh, this huge, you know, dark night of the soul that lasted two years. And I just turned to her and four policemen with her and I went off at them. I called them every single name I could possibly think of. And the, the police are the cult of ultimate evil. They don't take responsibility for themselves. They don't take responsibility for their behavior. They bash people. They cause all the violence in this world. And I've directed everything at these policemen and they stepped back. They don't even know why they stepped back. And I slammed the door in their faces. And then once the lady from the government had left and gone back to her office, the police come knocking on the door again. How dare you talk to us like that? We'll put you in the grave. We'll, we'll kill you. We'll put guns at you. They threatened me with everything. I said, I don't give a Do it. Do it, you pigs. I walk away. They got no power. I had the power. Hmm. So the lady in the government office, she heard about this, and she decided, oh, I'm going to move this guy. This guy doesn't belong there. This guy is this. He's not one of these criminals that that are in there stabbing each other and bashing each other. And so she moved me into my own house with no, you know, beautiful neighbour and. A, great area was this the same lady same place you, i live that, right now was this the same lady that you had yelled, no, no. yelled at before or a different so lady? The, lady, the lady that i helped was in the mental hospital right um but the no no, no the lady that came to your door oh yeah same lady the same lady yeah so the, the, she saw she saw me do all of that to the police and she had something go off inside of her that she realized you know this this guy's speaking truth that nobody else is speaking he might be saying it all jumbled up and he's not very good at conveying what he's saying, but, um, you know, he's saying it in righteous anger. But she saw the difference between an angry person and somebody who had righteousness in their heart and was using it. So I was moved into the house where I am now, but now then you know, moved me into this new house and all the COVID things started. So I kept studying, I kept studying and, and, you know, I didn't follow their orders. 
they said, wear a mask. I said, no. They said, go and get vaccinated. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not telling me what to do anymore. Stop telling me what to do. I'm not going to follow your orders no matter how much you try and make me. I'm not going to do it. Oh, well, we'll threaten you then. Threaten me. Nail me to a crucifix. Do whatever you want. I'm not following anything you say. Go away. They did. But now the, the, they want me to sign job agreements. There used to be a job agreement, but now it's a job plan. I have to look for all of these jobs and I have to do follow all their orders. So I said, I'm not signing it. Go to hell. I'm not signing it. They said, well, you're going to lose your beautiful house and and you're going to lose your, you know, everything you own. And that's good. I don't care. I've been on the street for 22 years. You think you can scare me? I'm not scared of you. Yeah, call them Nazis. They're order following Nazis is what they are. I don't follow orders. I follow my heart. I don't follow your orders anymore. And that's where we are today. I don't take get any government money. I ride a bicycle around and collect cans out of a bin. Out of all the bins in the park, I put my head in the bin and I take the cans out. I'm back to living on baked beans. I don't care. I'm happy. I'm uh, because I know who I am, and that's why we came to this. We come to this planet. We don't come here to to serve money, to work and be successful, and do it. We come here to connect to our souls and to find our true self and to be on that road of enlightenment. And I'm doing it. And no one's going to stop me. No one and nothing is going to stop me anymore. No one's going to direct me, do any of these things. I'm not a, a hue man. A hue is a shade of. And a man, a hue man is not a man. It's a shade of a man. And I've been a hue man all my life. I've been a shade of a man, not a real man. Today I can stand here and say, I am a man, not a human, and I will die a man. I will never be a human again. What would be a piece of advice you would give for people who are traveling around Australia or people who are traveling anywhere in the world? What's one piece of advice you would want to give to them? Just briefly. Is, um... Do no harm. Don't harm other people. Don't harm the planet. Don't harm the animals. You know, I, I, I don't fish anymore. I don't want to cause any harm to the fish. I love the fish. I don't want to eat them. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to put a knife in their head or a hook in their back. I want to see them. Uh, and... You know, love is the law. That's God's law. To love. Not to hate, not to... Um, and if you're traveling, see the world with real eyes. Don't just see what you want to see. See the, what's there. See the darkness that's there. And turn it into light. 
Turn it into, if you see something negative, try and turn it into something positive. You know, otherwise you'll suffer. Um, spend time with people. Pay attention to people. You know, we, we spend money, but we can and pay with money, but we can spend with time and we can pay with attention. And, and the, don't be scared. The fear is not real. You know, we, we have this fear inside of us that something is going to be a consequence for everything. Take the consequences and you'll learn to deal with fear. The more things that you can suffer, you know, the more people that try and put fear in your heart, let them do it and show them that you're not scared. Because you'll take, they don't, they, it's an illusion. Most of them won't carry out any of the things they threaten. And if they do carry them out, it's on them. Do no harm to this planet. Everything on this planet is created in this name that we call Christ. You know, you want to destroy these things? I don't. I'm sick of it. You know, maybe I will suffer for the rest of my life with by learning the occult sciences. People say, don't learn them because you'll suffer. You'll have to see the misery of this world if you study these sciences. I say, I don't care. I want to see this. I want to see how miserable. I want to see the darkness. I want to see the evil. I want to know who my enemy is. I encourage everybody to wake up spiritually. And the only way you can do that is, is by way of knowledge. You, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance causes suffering, and I don't even call it ignorance, I call it ignorance. You ignore everything. Stop ignoring, and specifically stop ignoring yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wish all the travellers in the world the best, and I hope, you know, they find what they're looking for outside and inside, because if you're not looking inside, you won't look outside. And if you're not looking outside, you won't look inside. So do a walkabout. The Aboriginals go, go on walkabout. This is what traveling is. It's, it's, it's no different. When you go on walkabout, you're searching for your soul. Mm. Find it. It's there. Anyone can find it. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to have some knowledge and you've got to be prepared to... You know, take a hit. You got to bleed for the dancer. That this is world is the dancer, and if you're not prepared to shed some blood, go back to your little mind cage. Go back to your little prison. Go back to your little safety of your house. What are you doing on the road? You don't deserve to be on the road. You know, if you're not prepared to 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 exactly that, you got to bleed for the dancer. That's my final word. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, you know sees this video, and I wish all the travellers the best. Sorry, I couldn't have, you know, just told you all the light and happiness of travelling, but that's not. I'll be lying, and I don't lie. I don't lie about travelling, and neither should you or anybody else. And but, you know. I might be travelling again very soon, and when I do, it will be with love. 
that's all. You want to take a whole lot of things with you? You want to take all these new fancy, you know, phones and cameras and, you know, I'm glad this is here because we can we can use this as a tool to teach and yeah. to, you know, show the world. But in all honesty, with some experience, all you really need to take with you is love in your heart. And, and more importantly than love, and there is something more important, is care. You have to care enough. To, you have to care and generate care in this world. Care is something we can generate. And the more care we generate, the more love that will grow. As John Lennon said, love is a flower. You've got to let it grow. You've got to water it. You know, love is the answer. And you just don't know what the, nobody knows the questions. All right? How can you say love is the answer if you don't have the question? They say, oh, it's the answer. Okay, well, what's the question? I don't know. Go and find the question. People are not looking for, on the road for answers. They're looking for questions. And you know, answer those questions truthfully. And the first start to spiritual enlightenment, stop lying to yourself. Stop telling yourself lies. We all do it. Every single one of us tell it. We tell lies. Nobody can, they can tell you all the lies in the world, but the ones that count are the lies that you tell yourself. When you stop lying to yourself, the, the soul comes forward. Thank you. That's a good, really good point to end on. Thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate it. And um, this podcast will be on every medium, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Uh, if you like this, give a follow, like, subscribe, leave a comment, whatever. Um, thank you very much and see you in the next one. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate it. No worries.